uh, I was reminded about my responsibility this morning uh, as Bill Patton prayed and asked uh, God's blessings on me as I preached from a very familiar passage of Scripture. You know, that's one of the great challenges that I have always, and that every pastor has, is that, you know, you, you, you preach, and this one just came up in the series that we've been in studying uh, about uh, joining in God's work. It's a theme for today under that whole theme about uh, our spiritual disciplines growing more like Christ. And so, uh, this one out of John uh, 15, and Jesus being the true vine, that's been around a long, long time. And a lot of speculation about it, a lot of teaching about it. You might already have your mind made up about it. But my responsibility is challenged out of uh, the Matthew's Gospel, the 13th chapter. And I love it because those are parables on the kingdom. And I love to preach on the parables. I love to read on the parables. But in verse 52, and this is the way I think it's summarized for the responsibility of one who teaches, uh, whether it's in the life group or with children in a setting somewhere or, or whether it's one who preaches or whatever. Uh, but the, the responsibility is this. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So it's my responsibility as one who teaches the Word of God to you is to bring treasures out of the Word of God to you, those that are both old, the ones that you're familiar with and that give you a great sense of security, and those treasures that are new because those are the ones that challenge us to different walks in life with Christ and to a different spiritual level. So how does that fit today with our lesson today when we turn to, again, once again, a very familiar passage of Scripture in uh, John chapter 15? Uh, we've been talking about these spiritual disciplines that help us to grow more like Christ, and we conclude that unit uh, today. And it's talking about joining God in His work, and they chose an interesting passage of Scripture, this out of John 15. Well, it's, it, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and we're his disciples today, and it's talking about the fact that he is the true vine. And you know, in John's gospel, there are seven great I am statements that Jesus makes. This is the last one that he makes. And it's interesting, and he doesn't say, I am the vine, but I am the true vine. And so the implication for us is then that we're to be connected to him if we're going to join God in his work and if we're going to be productive, which Jesus talks about bearing fruit in the scriptures, as we'll get to it in a few moments. So even back in the time of Christ, as it is today, uh, being connected to the right people, to the right sources of information is very important for one's success. Um, that's one of the, one of the things that's uh, so intriguing today about how we're doing business and how we're making those connections in business. You got, you want to make the right connection with the right people so you can be successful in business. But I think it spills over into every aspect of life. One of the, the buzzwords is networking. And another phrase that I hear an awful lot of is reaching out. I'm reaching out to you. Or somebody will say, well, thank you for reaching out to me. I bet it's not a week that goes by that I don't have somebody from some organization call me about something. And I'm, I'm Robert, and you know, talking to me by my first name like they've known me for 50 years or more. You know, and I've never heard of them before, never seen them before. They're Robert. I've got the very, very plan that just you need, and I'm reaching out to you. I want to share with you about this ministry. Well, I know what my ministry is. Mine is to proclaim the word of God. 
But it's hit me with people driving by and say, I'm reaching out to you about your sign. I want to talk to you about a new sign out there. Well, you know, we got a sign, and it's fixed. It's there. It's, it's working okay. But it's always that thing about reaching out to you. So it's talking about, about being connected and making those connections and, and being in the process of networking. So Jesus even pointed out, back when he taught this lesson to his disciples, that it's so important to be spiritually connected to be successful in your walk with God. So let's listen to these familiar words once again out of John 15, uh, verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Very powerful words. Important words, words that you've heard probably, I don't know, hundreds of times before. So let's unpackage it and see exactly what Jesus is talking about. I think when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, he is saying to us, if you're going through life and you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel disconnected, you feel fruitless, you feel vulnerable, unprotected, disappointment, unproductive, uh, disillusioned, generally let down by the whole experience of life and frustrated in your spiritual walk because you feel like you don't feel the closeness of God that you would like to and your life certainly is not bearing the fruit that you know God wants you to bear. So what do we do with that? We take those feelings and we come to Jesus and we connect with him because he says, I am the true vine, I am sufficient to support you and to give you everything that you need so that you can be fruitful for the kingdom of God. So as we break this down, let's look at first of all and understand that Jesus is making a great announcement. It's the final night in the life of our Lord on earth before his crucifixion. And he chose that moment to speak to his disciples about relationships that give us this incident today. And so he says, I am the true vine. So why does he choose that moment, that night, that setting to talk to his disciples and to give him, them that name, the true vine? Well, he'd been with his disciples for about three, maybe three and a half years. They'd been following him. They'd been hanging on every word that he taught them. And they fellowshiped together. They ate together. They rested together. They ministered together. And they, their lives centered around their relationship with Jesus in their very midst. 
But Jesus knew what was before him. It was the cross and his death and then his resurrection and then his ascension back up into the glories of heaven to take his rightful seat there in the, in the triune God. And so he was wondering, what are the disciples going to do when I leave them bodily? Will they continue to follow after my teachings? Will they remain true? Will they remain in relationship with God? Or will they fall away? And so he wanted to ensure them that they could remain faithful is when he was no longer seen or felt or touched like they could do when he was physically present with them, but that they would have that relationship with them and they would be reminded of the fact that they were in a relationship with Christ. Now that theme of relationship is all the way through John 15, this chapter 15 in the Gospel of John. In verses 1 through 11, uh, Jesus talks to the disciples about their relationship to him. Then in verses 12 through 17, he talks to them about their relationship to each other. And he tells them to love one another as he has loved them. And then in verses 18 through 27, he talks to them about their relationship to the world. And he reminds them that the world did not totally accept him, rejected him, uh, uh, persecuted him, and that they would experience some of the same things. So he was preparing them for his departure. But look again at the announcement. I am the true vine. Remember Jesus and the disciples had just completed the Passover in the upper room where Jesus gave new meaning to that old feast as he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body. And he took a cup and he shared it and he said, this is my blood. He was talking to them about the sacrifice that he would be making on the cross in just a few hours. So there was a very important moment a great teachable moment, and as he did in so many occasions, especially in the parables, is why I like him so much, is that he took something from everyday life that they could relate to, and he taught a spiritual truth about it. You see, viticulture, or having vineyards, was a very common feature in Palestine. There are two main staples in the two of life and two main industries at that time was olives and, and grapes. Out of the olives, they made olive oil and useful for so many things. And out of the grapes, they made wine, which is a staple of their drink because they didn't have good, clean, fresh drinking water. And most of the wine that they did drink, when we have biblical references of it, was a mixture of wine and water to a certain point. It's just simply because it helped to cleanse or purify the water. So it was very important in their life, and they knew that. They would pass by many vineyards. As they left the upper room, they went down through the Kidron Valley and across over to the Mount of Olives. And it's very likely that they could have seen the great golden vine, which was the emblem of Israel, on the front of the temple. And Jesus knew that his disciples would understand the significance then of a vine. Because if you read in Psalm 80, they are compared to being a vine or a vineyard of God. And said, so, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted. Well, they would also be familiar with it in several different ways. I think we got some pictures up here. Um, one of the things that they would know is that it was a, it was a symbol of, uh, of God's bountiful blessings. And what we see there is one of the most uh, popular tourist souvenir to bring home. That is depicted in so many different ways that's supposed to be uh, Joshua and Caleb when they were sent into the promised land to spy it out. And they talked about how beautiful it was, how bountiful it was. And this is bringing back one small bunch of grapes 
off of the grapevine there in that land of plenty, and they're having to carry it on, the, on a great big log or, or a limb of some sort. And so that's one of the things that would be most popular. That was also on coins of that day. There I think it's uh, the, uh, see, there's some of the coins you see, the great cluster on the left in there, and then on the right there's a vine that goes all the way around the coin. And that emblem of Joseph and Caleb is also uh, part of the uh, uh, tourism industry's uh, signature. So uh, even back then, they would know the importance of, of the vine producing fruit and being connected to the right sources so that it could do that. So Israel then had been compared to being a vine. But the thing about this was, was that Israel had not produced the fruit that God had commanded her to produce. And so that's why Jesus was wanting to say to his disciples, look at this whole pruning process. He talks about that in verse 2 and verse 6. And what Jesus was saying was, every branch that was entwined with him was treated by the Father, who was the vine dresser, in one of two ways. Those that were vitally linked to, to the vine but needed purging would be pruned and so that they would bear greater fruit. If you have a, a, a grapevine, if you've got a, a grapevine that you get grapes from, you know that during the winter like this, every year, this is the time you go in and you cut back. You've got to prune it. You've got to cut it back. And it looks almost like it's dead, but that's what helps it to produce in the spring and summer when the grapes come out. Uh, I, I, several years ago, uh, we planted a couple of grapevines, and we got them on a runner in the backyard, and I'm reminded of the task. I looked at it yesterday. I did a lot of other work in the yard, but I haven't pruned that yet. So I've got that task yet before me. The other thing that Jesus pointed out was that there are some little portions that get on the vine that are kind of like little suckers, and that they just don't produce anything, and they got to be cut off. Uh, and the Greek word there is that they're lopped off. Like you go with some kind of cutting device and you lop them off and they are thrown in a pile and they dry up and then they're thrown on the fire and they'll burn. So what God is saying through Jesus is that God has sent me as the true vine. And as the true vine, he's reminding Israel that Israel had failed to be that true vine that's referenced in the Old Testament. There was no fruit in their worship. They had failed to please God. They were not being a light to the Gentiles. And everything that Israel was supposed to be, they had failed at being light and, and the vine and the shepherd and all of that. But it was found in Jesus in the great I am statements. And so here's the purpose of the announcement. Jesus is saying, you don't have to look beyond me to find the true article. I am the true vine. Look at me and see how I produce fruit for God the Father. So the reality is for all of us, when we come face to face with Jesus Christ, we know that he is the true son of God. He is the true way and truth and life. And if we want to know that, we have to be in relationship with him. And that's what Jesus was saying to the disciples by way of an announcement. You have failed in your task of being the vine of Israel for the kingdom of God. I am the true vine. Only in me can you be productive and glorify God. And so the challenge was to help these disciples and all who would later hear this all through the years in this familiar passage understand we have to be connected with Christ. So, and this, maybe we have to hear it over and over and over again because of these statistics. Research tells us that 10% of all people will change their pattern of life when they hear the truth. 10% will never change. But 80% will change 
only in the context of a relationship. Somebody to help them, mentor them, to be an accountability partner, whatever that role might be. But Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us, to be a successful vine in the kingdom of God, you have to have right connection and be connected to me. I am the true vine. That's the announcement that he makes. Now, let's move to the allegory. This is the second part for us to look at. An allegory is different from a parable. When you read a parable, look for one spiritual truth in that parable. Don't try to dissect it and look at all the different parts of that parable because Jesus in a parable is teaching one particular thing. But in this setting, this teaching, it's an allegory. Jesus is the vine. God is the vine dresser. The branches are those who follow after Christ. And the fruit is what that relationship with Christ will produce. So the question comes to us then, what is our responsibility in the relationship with the true vine and God the Father who is the vine dresser? What does the vine dresser look for? He looks for us to have an honest relationship with him. And Jesus says, I'm the vine, I'm the true vine. And you're the branches, and whoever remains, or he who remains in me, will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, there are three realities about this, I think, that we need to kind of hone in on about that. First of all, it encourages us to trust Christ as our Savior. If you've never come to that place in your life where you've acknowledged your sin, confessed your sin, and repented from your sin, and asked Christ to come into your life and to save you from your sins and to be the leader of your life, then that's the first step you have to take. That's the first decision that you have to make if you're going to be a part of the vine. If you're going to be in relationship and connected to Jesus and connected to God the Father, you have to have Christ as your Savior. There's an interesting thing I don't understand. I don't love it because I don't get into horticulture all that much. But there's an interesting thing. There's something on the vine called the pith line that talks about the growth process. And somewhere in that process, the vines can overlap each other to make it stronger. And those who studied that have pointed out that the vine becomes the right side of the branch, making a perfect cross of strong wood at the place of that union. And so the vine and the branch, it says, becomes one at that cross. Well, the same thing is true with us in a spiritual sense. At the cross, we become one with Christ because he died there as a perfect substitute and sacrifice for our sins. He did so so we could have that relationship both with him and God the Father. And so to abide in Christ means that there is an entry point that we have to have and make to be a part of that vine. And Jesus says, I am that true vine, and we have to be connected to him. And to do so, you confess your sins, you repent of your sins, and you ask Christ to be the Savior of your life. And then the second thing is then, is you to remain in Jesus. Other translations use the word abide or continue in Jesus. So remaining in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, continuing in Jesus means staying in him, living in him, remaining in him. And the promise of God's blessings and protections is made only to those of us who choose to remain and abide close to him by being connected to Jesus Christ. So we have to not only accept Christ as our Savior, but I think this is the process then. And the second thing we're talking about, about remaining in Jesus, is where 
we allow him to be the Lord and the leader of our life. And that flows through the third observation that I make in that. And that is that then we have to live in obedience. See, abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ is giving loving obedience to this great I am God. Verses 9 through 10, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And then he talks about obedience in verse 10. He says, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now that's a powerful statement. We are only in good grace with God as long as we are obedient and faithful. You know what obedience is? It's doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it. We've had three grandchildren with us over this weekend. I've seen that truth lived out. Sometimes they obey, sometimes they don't. The same thing is true with all of us. Anybody's a parent knows that. But anybody who is a child of God knows the same thing is not true in your life all the time, is it? But Jesus makes it very, very clear. Maybe this is a new truth you will get out of this. That you are blessed only through obedience to what God tells you to do. Living in faith with Christ means then that we live in obedience. The line is our lifeblood. He gives us life and the nutrients to sustain a continued life. And it's a life of obedience in the kingdom of God. Now that leads to kind of the application and the summary of this. And that's then the advantage. So what is the advantage to us? What is the advantage to us if we are connected with Christ as the true vine? Well, there are three ways. Number one, we experience the presence of God. We experience the presence of God. You might know that God is supposed to be near you through the teaching of the scripture. If you doubt that, go to, go to Psalm 139 and read that. It's a great reminder that no matter where you go, no matter how high you go, no matter how low you go, God is always there with you. When we're connected to the true vine, we know the presence of God. Loneliness and isolation that can be devastating are taken away by the presence of God. When we're abiding in Jesus, we know God's presence and we're never alone. Then the second thing is we experience the power of God. That is the ultimate connection. That is the ultimate powerful connection that brings about results for the kingdom of God. This is the way the Apostle Paul describes it in Ephesians 3 verses 20 through 21. And I don't think we've ever really claimed this to the depth that we can. Because I don't ever think that we have seen totally what God can do through our lives and through the life of the church and the power that he has to use in our life. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3. Now to him, that's Christ, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's God's power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Have you ever really claimed that power? Have you ever really seen that power 
from God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? Jesus even made reference to that up here in our scripture for today in verse 7. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Pray for that power of God to be unleashed in your life. And then thirdly, we experience the product of God. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about a grapevine. What's supposed to be the product of a grapevine? Grapes, right? Okay. We're supposed, a grapevine is supposed to bear fruit. And when it doesn't, it's not doing what it's called to do. It's not doing what it was designed to do. When you go back and you look at Jesus' teaching, he addresses four stages of fruit bearing. In verse 2, he talks about no fruit. In verse 2, then he talks about fruit. In verse 2, he talks about more fruit. And then in verse 5 and 8, he talks about much fruit. So Jesus makes it clear that dead or non-productive branches are useless and are cut off because they are not producing fruit. But verse 8 makes it clear that we glorify God as we bear fruit. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. All right, so we know that the fruit that a grapevine is supposed to bear is a grape, right? And lots of it. Fruit to more fruit to much fruit. So how do we interpret that in our life? What is the fruit that we're supposed to produce? Well, the theme of your lesson today about joining in God's work gives you a clue, gives you a hint about that. It's something that we are supposed to produce in our life that's a part of the kingdom of God and connected with the kingdom of God and reveals the glory of the kingdom of God. So I would say that the first thing that, of that fruit that we're supposed to produce is righteousness. Righteousness, right? In Philippians 1, 9 through 11, we find the apostle Paul saying, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So if we're supposed to be righteous, that's kind of like fulfilling the command that we have that God says to us, be holy because I am holy. We see, we talk oftentimes about the fact that God is holy and righteous and we are sinful, but yet we're supposed to have the fruit of righteousness in our life. You see, you go back to your relationship with Christ, that entry point where you acknowledge your sins, you confess your sins, you repent of those sins, and you trust Christ to forgive you and then to be the leader of your life and then that element of obedience. If we live in relationship to God where we are in obedience to him, then we don't sin. Not intentionally anyway. Now we know that we're all still fallen people in a fallen world, so we're going to fail. We're going to fall at some point in time. But what we're challenged to do is live in the kingdom of God so that the fruit of righteousness is produced in our life. That leads us to the second observation then. The second thing to be produced is godly character. Godly character. What does that look like? Well, we have to find another fruit analogy. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. What are we going to talk about there? 
fruit of the Spirit. Nine, nine. It's, it, it, it's interesting. That's fruit of the Spirit and not fruits, and nine things are listed. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are nine fruit of the Spirit characteristics that we need in our life to live a godly character. When is the last time you needed love in your life to show to somebody else? When's the last time you needed to find joy in your life? When's the last time you needed to know peace? When's the last time you needed to have the gift of patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? You see, when we're in right relationship with Christ, the true vine, he produces those things in our life. And then the third thing I think has got to be obvious, and that is, I call it conversions. You could call it reaching people, saving souls, whatever you want to call it. I just put down conversions because we are challenged in relationship with God, joining in in his work. His ultimate goal is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that means that we have the gospel and we're supposed to share it. In Romans 1.13, the Apostle Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. Other translations say ignorant. It's bad when you're ignorant, right? We're all ignorant about certain things. But he says, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant about this spiritual truth, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul was the one who took as a chosen vessel of God, the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. It was to reach people for the glory of God, and you and I are called to do the same thing. Don't forget who's your one. You know, almost a year ago, we were cranking up for a great time in the life of our church to focus upon who's your one. When 3.6 million South Carolinians either do not have a relationship with Christ or not a relationship with a local church, I said, you got to know at least one of them. Who's your one? And the different levels of where they are in that relationship. They're totally lost and separated from Christ. Some of them are growing, stepping closer to that and moving through that. If you're on the on the e-news or the, 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 the emails that, that David Thompson lead our prayer uh, ministry has been throwing out besides a whole lot of other challenges for prayer. He's throwing in there every day one of those aspects about praying for who's your one. Don't forget who's your one. And then I'm excited about this. Starting April 25th in your life group curriculum, Bible Studies for Life, we're going to have not just one evangelistic message, and that's basically what we've always gotten in the past. You might have one a year on stewardship. You might have one a year on evangelism. We're going to have a six-week study on sharing your faith in Christ. Why? Because we need to be trained. We need to be reminded of the importance of it. Don't raise your hands in guilt or in affirmation, but just think about this question. When's the last time you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody who was lost? That's why we need to study and focus on that. It's coming up starting April 25th. I'm excited about that. Uh, last week I made the reference to uh, Billy Graham's 1957 uh, Madison Square Garden Crusade where he was encouraging people not only to come to Christ but go to church. 
And uh, the Smoke family had a family with them from Hilton Head who were connected with the Billy Graham uh, Association in some way, and we were talking afterwards. Well, then I read this, doing a little other reading this week, that in the Billy Graham Crusades, they have discovered that 80% of all the people who came forward to receive Christ during a Billy Graham Crusade were brought by a friend or a relative. 80% of all people came because they were brought by a friend or a relative. Elmer Towns did some other research, and he discovered that 86% of the people a certain period of time who came to know Christ as Savior was a result of the influence of a friend or a relative. But here's the bad news. The recent Gallup poll has showed us that only 63%, that 63% of unchurched Americans have not been invited to church by their friends or relatives. That's the significance about a relationship and being connected. So here's the challenge, old and new, out of this passage. Jesus is a true vine. We need to be connected to him. You have to have an entry point. That's through confessing your sins and acknowledging him as Savior. And then there is the challenge for us that we're to produce fruit for his glory. We're supposed to live a righteous life, expressing godly character, and bearing much fruit as we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today, from here to your life group, you'll find that peace connecting you. And you might learn something new, be challenged to something new from this old study with a new challenge to you about being a fruit bearer in the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you for this wonderful teaching from our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is indeed the true vine. Help us all, Father, to realize as we are in Christ, we are part of that vine. We're the branches. We're to bear fruit for his glory. And so may we, Father, be the people that you want us to be, living in righteousness and bearing fruit for your glory. Father, put the burden once again on our heart for that one that we know, one or two or three, or whoever, however many they might be, who does not know you, that we might be bold enough at least to invite them to come here to hear the gospel. And then maybe learn, Father, to be bold enough to proclaim the message of salvation. Father, we commit this time of decision to you. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ our Lord and our Savior.